everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Thrive with Asbury Seminary podcast. I'm your host, Heidi E. Wilcox, and today on the podcast, we're talking with Dr. Sharon Ketchum. She's Professor of Theology and Christian Ministries at Gordon College. Today, we talk about her book, Reciprocal Church, Becoming a Community Where Faith Flourishes Beyond High School. So we talk about how we can become a collective body of faith rather than only an individual body of faith and what it means to share faith between generations from older to younger, but also from younger to older. Let's listen. Let's get started and just tell me a little bit about you. So you live with your family in New Hampshire? I do. We live in southern New Hampshire, near the border of Massachusetts, and I've been married for 26 years, which is a real gift. We have two children, both teenagers, and you know, I have to say, I am really enjoying having teenagers at home. Yeah, why? I like the kind of conversations that we have and the ways in which we engage with one another and it doesn't feel quite the alertness of having small children. I'm really enjoying it. I guess I say that because um, maybe we talk negatively about teenagers sometimes. Yeah, I think we do. I don't have any experience with them, yeah. but I think we do. Yeah. But and I I'm, think, yeah, it's wonderful. I'm enjoying them. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'm also a professor at Gordon College, and I've been there for 16 years. Wow. And what do you teach there? I am um, a professor of theology and Christian ministries, so I teach across both of those. I teach um, our core in our core curriculum, so what every student takes at Gordon in theology, um, as well as our some of our Christian ministry courses. That's awesome. Agreed. Yeah. I'm sure you have a lot of really great students. Oh, we have wonderful students at Gordon. Yeah, I bet. So I'm really curious about your book, too, that you wrote, um, Reciprocal Church, Becoming a Community of Faith, Becoming a Community Where Faith Flourishes Beyond high school, which may speak to your love of teenagers too. Mm -hmm. Um, But what prompted you to write that? I was in um, full-time ministry in Tennessee for about a decade, um, loving what I was doing, feeling that um, we were able to bring um, these wonderful volunteer um, youth workers along, um, develop a ministry, kind of do what we needed to be doing. And along the way, I really saw that the fruit of our labor was an either or. Either people graduated and stayed with the faith or they didn't. And in some ways it just didn't make sense. I mean they could have had the right ingredients that we were that were supposed to maintain faith and yet that didn't always happen like that. So from there I ended up being able to pursue my PhD and really um, study and think about, and this was really before kind of what we would call now this call that, of the decline of the church. This was before then, um, trying to pay attention to what was going on on the ground in my ministry experience. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us a little bit about what your book is about? Sure. I want to address the theological problem. Um, there's a lot of materials that are really worth digging into that are more social science research. So the data that we collect to try and understand what's going on, why people would stay in the church or why people would leave the church. But what I've discovered is a, is a real theological problem. Mm. Um, and I call it the misconception of the church. Yeah. 
Okay, so what is that? I'm super curious because you're talking about things that I haven't thought about nearly as much as you have, but that I've just thought about personally as I'm like, I go to church every Sunday, and why do I keep doing this? Oh, what a great question, Heidi. So the new misconception, when we talk about misconceptions of the church, like the church is not a building, the Mm -hmm. church is not an institution, and I would say the church is not a service provider, meaning the the church is not the place to which we drive up in order to gain our spiritual nourishment for the week. And in many ways, that's what church has become for us. And I talk about that in my book a lot. Why is it that um, in the time and space in which we live, the church has become a service provider? But ultimately, I'm trying to pay attention to what happens to the gospel message in light of that that we really um, end up reducing the gospel to an individual relationship with Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. We actually have forgotten about what it means to be the people of God. Wow. So what does it mean, or what do you mean when you use the word reciprocal? Yes, reciprocal. Um, Reciprocal is um, a type of motion. You can think of linear motion that goes in a line, or circular motion that clearly goes in a circle. Reciprocal motion is the push and the pull motion, the back and the forth Mm -hmm. that exists. And reciprocal church allows us to think about the importance of the push and pull between us. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks about our differing wills as the place for the spirit's transformation. Meaning like, for example, I don't learn patience until I have to be patient with you. I don't learn patience from reading my Bible by myself. I don't learn, I I learn patience because I actually am with another human being that requires me to learn patience. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a pretty mild example of the ways in which we have differing wills, like our wills butt heads with each other. Why do you think, because you're talking about how the church has valued the individual over the community, and we've made it like an either-or kind of deal. Mm. Um, can you explain like why you think that is true, and then talk a little bit about how we can move from it to make it a both-and? Mm-hmm. So churches live in time and space we live in an environment and we swim in cultures Um, and we live in an individualistic society. That's probably the fastest way to answer that. Um, Our understanding of even maturity is more, more closely aligned with independence that I would be in grow up, stand on my own two feet and independent of you. That would make me mature. What if we were in a collectivist culture we would un- understand maturity as belonging. Mm. And yeah. the biblical writers write from that context, from a collectivist culture where it's more important that I belong to this community and I want to function in ways that bring you honor and avoid ways that bring you shame. Um, mm. So in this environment, it actually makes more sense for us to talk about strengthening our individual relationship with Jesus Christ. Yeah, for sure. But it's actually not what it means to be the church. Yeah. So what does it mean to be the church? Mm-hmm. We are a ecclesial people, 
We are a people that are in covenant with God and one another. Okay, so I'm going to stop you. Yeah. I don't know what ecclesial okay. means. What does okay. that mean? We're people that, so ecclesial points to we're a people of the church. Okay, okay. We're just, we're people that don't, I don't believe by myself. I always oh. believe with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're called, if you think like of the Ten Commandments, um, in covenant with God, we, the first five, talk about um, our relationship with God, and the second five have implications on our relationships with others. Mm-hmm. So if you zip over to Ephesians chapter 2, the dividing wall of hostility that's between the Jew and the Gentile, that Christ breaks down by Christ's death and resurrection, now becomes an implication for our real relationships with one another. Yeah, absolutely. So how do we do that? How do we <laughs> embody the church? Or is that the right way to phrase that? I'm not sure. sure. Yeah, I actually like how, what you, how you describe that. <clears throat> like, how do we embody the church? I mean, so our real relationships with one another matter. So how um, often do we pay attention to the priority of reconciliation between us when we um, are talking about the gospel? Mm-hmm. So here's a story that might explain that. Um, I was walking into church late one day. I'm usually late. Heidi, Same. I, okay, good. Same. Same. We can bond over this. I'm generally <laughs> late, so I'm always apologizing because I'm late. Yes. Fair, fair enough. And I always feel guilty. And yep. Yes. So I was trying to like slide in on the side. I saw an open pew and I was walking down in order to get my seat. And then right there sitting next to where I was going to be was someone I was not so pleased with. Mm. We'd on a committee together, and I didn't like the ways in which she was asking, acting. I didn't find it to be honest. Um, it was problematic. But I had good news. He actually hadn't seen me walk up. So I quietly step backwards and move over to the other side of the church. And then I hear Matthew 5, before you bring your gifts to the altar, reconcile with your brother and mm-hmm. sister. And I say that because that's part of the gospel that we would actually live and reconcile, work on reconciling with one another. Mm, yeah. So that's to me, that's what it means to embody the church, to be the church. Yeah, and then go out and share God's faithfulness with the world then. And how effective is God is our sharing of God's faithfulness with the world when we actually can't get along with one another? Yeah, yeah. Probably yeah. not very. No, it's <laughs> probably not. not very faithful, and we're there right now, right? Yeah, Christian community is there. We actually are as polarized in the Christian church as we are in our country. I would dare say. Yes, I feel like everywhere, mm-hmm. and we've, at least from my experience, it seems like we've taken like you think different things than me, so I cannot like you. Yes, and I've. I mean, I haven't. I'm in my 30s, so I haven't lived a super long time, but long enough. I don't remember ever being no, that's like new. this before. You're right. Yeah. That cancel culture. I don't even want to, I can cancel you. Yeah. And what is that? Can I cancel you as my brother or sister in Christ? Because I don't like how you're thinking about the faith. Yeah. Yeah, that's problematic if reconciliation is actually part of the gospel. Yeah, and it definitely is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And not secondary part of the gospel. It is actually the gospel. Yeah. 
So in one of your talks that I listened to before the Mm -hmm. podcast, you talked about embodying memory. Yes. And so what does it mean to embody memory? I love that. Thanks, Heidi, for asking that question. Um, I, I was trying to get us to think about not just a declaration that God is faithful in uncertain times, right? So you're having a hard time, Heidi, and I can just look you in the eye and say, Heidi, God is faithful. But what actually does that mean? when your feelings of uncertainty are actually effective. It's related to how you feel, your emotions, anxiety, fear, maybe even despair. So an embodied memory has to do with what, how I pay attention, how we pay attention as a church to caring for the emotions of one another in uncertain times. Oh, yeah. Say more about that because I th- think right now our culture is one of the loneliest, most anxious, exactly right, depressed, like all those things. Yeah, say more about that. Mm-hmm. So if you're lonely and you come into a church, I would think that embodied memory would be that church um, helping you remember and discover your identity with them. Mm. That you're not alone, but you're actually knit with them. Or it could mean that when you're having um, an, un, a difficult time in your life and you come in and maybe you fear, um, feel fear um, and overwhelmed at life, maybe it means that we practice remembering God's faithfulness in the past. Mm. That we describe the ways in which God has been faithful together. Yeah. But it's not our story because God's actually not being faithful for us. Or we don't realize Or it. we don't, right. Yeah. But in the end, we might um, feel the comfort of being part of a larger story than just our moment in time. Yeah. Loneliness means that we're like separated away from people. But we are an ecclesial people. We are a people of God knit together in the same story. Mm-hmm. How does remembering or how does memory help us discover who we are? Mm-hmm. Because we would remember that we are God's people. Mm. That we remember that we're more, that we're connected to people and to stories larger than my moment right now. Mm. Um, I told a story um, recently that my daughter, um, who was six six years old at the time, came with us to a family reunion. Um, and at that family reunion, we were trying to tell the stories of our family heritage. I come from um, a pretty significant Irish Catholic Irish Catholic background. Mm-hmm. And as we we're telling all those stories, hoping that um, our children, this next generation, would understand them too, um, my daughter ended up writing her name on her artwork and on her math test as Annie Galgay. And Annie Galgay actually isn't her name. <laughs> but it was the embodied experience of being part of stories of people that she'd never met mm-hmm. that actually gave her an opportunity to belong to something outside of her moment in time. Mm-hmm. So how are we doing that in the church? Mm-hmm. We're telling our family story in ways that we feel like we belong with those people. Mm-hmm. What are some of those ways? Like if we were looking for like a way to practice remembering our story, how can we do that? Like mm-hmm. me individually or not me, but you know, like an individual. And then how do you do that in a community? Mm-hmm. 
So I think the easiest way to explain that is to say, is to, is to go through um, some of the biblical stories where we can recount the actual ways in which God has been faithful. So God being faithful in the Exodus, God being faithful to the Israelites, God being faithful to bring the Israelites back um, to restore the temple, and all those aspects of how God in those stories was demonstrated as faithful, Then, be, and as we say them together and declare them, um, they give us comfort and even courage at the times where we, where we don't see God's faithfulness ourselves. Mm. Because those are our stories. Those are our, that's our family um, that we're talking about. And so it gives me hope. That's very different from the isolated individual who doesn't have a narrative that they belong to and doesn't feel connected. Yeah, it totally is. I never thought of people in the Bible as being part of my family before. I, that's really interesting. Because they're, they're apart from us. They're distant to us. Yeah. And sometimes I think about even things that happened I don't know, 50 years, like if it happened before I was born, it seems like a long time ago, but even like pretty significant things um, that have nothing really to do with the Christian faith, but just significant things in history only happened 50 years ago, which is not, not very long, it's not very long at all. Yeah. But it seems like everything is more immediate and now, and we have a very poor memory as a people and sometimes as a church, obviously, because that's what you're that's what you're talking about. Heidi, I think you're exactly right. And you said that very well. Um, we live at a time where there's a lot of change around us. We're trying to keep up with the change that's around us. I even think of the need to be on your social media all the time and the experience maybe that if you're not there, that you actually don't even exist. If you're not there in the digital space. Yeah. And a lot. So there's a lot of movement. We have to keep up. And all of that keeps us facing forward not looking backwards at history hmm. to yeah. know who we are. So we're always having to create who we are rather than be grounded in knowing in an a collective identity. Ooh, that's good. We always have to create who we are rather than being grounded in our collective. Ooh, I like that. And what is it like to have to create who you are? Produces anxiety and yes. depression. To, yep. Yes. We are unrooted as a people. And Christianity is just sitting there waiting to be reinterpreted as really who we are with this collective identity. We are God's people. Totally. Mm-hmm. I like what you said um, when you were on campus at Asbury Seminary in the chapel. Um, you said that Christian doesn't exist in the singular. Um, but we often, as we've already talked about, we often negotiate Christianity as individual. Um, but how can we make it because it is partly individual. We're all individual. Or would you would you disagree with that? Um, I think that we have a personal relationship with God. Yeah. I think so, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, that is what you mean, that we encounter God personally. So we wouldn't want to collapse ourselves into each other as if our individuality doesn't matter. That's not what I'm saying at all. Mm-hmm. It's just not by identity, who we are. If we go back into the Old Testament, what we learn is that God assembles a people by God's initiative, always a people, bringing people together for God's purposes, Um, not a bunch of individuals. Yeah. 
And even, can I do one more? Even like, oh, yeah. what's our conception of um, how we will spend eternity? Do we imagine ourselves alone with God? Or do we imagine ourselves, Revelation 21, in the diversity of a city living in unity with all our diverse expressions together? Yeah. No, I hope it's that because I kind of imagine it to be a party and you can't party by yourself. Well, that's exactly right. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you can't celebrate and rejoice by yourself. That's right. Or in the same ways. Exactly. It's not as much fun. There's a theologian named Mirslo Wolf, and he talks about um, judgment as a social reconciliation. So in your words, a party, and he would call it a social gathering of reconciliation where we actually oh. reconcile with one another yeah, and have the real experience yeah. of reconciling with one another. That's cool. Yeah, that is cool. Blows my mind. So what do you mean by reconciliation when you say we need to reconcile with each other? Because I totally agree, but what does that look like? Oh, it's the hard road of learning to not taking responsibility for ourselves. Um, taking responsibility sometimes not just for the intent of what I do, but also for the implications of my actions that I don't even intend. Mm. It's about going through processes of forgiveness. For sure. Which is so hard because that, that, can't, that isn't always one-sided um, or it can't be left just one-sided. So reconciliation is the rebuilding of relationship. It's about healing. And to do that, I'm sorry, you were going to say something, and I think it What would you add to that? I was just going to say, and to do that, I think remembering becomes important to that process. Say some more. Um, because yeah. if we don't have a good, at least I think, if we don't have a good memory of of past hurts or even past goodness of things that have been mm-hmm. good, if we don't remember those things, we can't understand what even the issue is that we need to make right oh well done so we need to know our history to do it yeah so that then we can come back together in community and you know one piece i would add as well we have to have a memory of the future like an idea of what where we're going oh yeah talk about that a vision of what this is about where what's the trajectory Mm -hmm. that god is that god is moving among us where is god taking us And if part of that trajectory is a vision of living in unity as diverse people, then reconciliation, as you say, as we remember what we where we've been, what we've done, what we're called to, as we face one another in the present, we have a vision of the future of where this is going that we Mm -hmm. enact now. Mm -hmm. And to remember, because I'm thinking about the illustration you gave with your daughter um, mm. and the stories that she heard and then kind of embodied. And it became mm-hmm. part of her and became who she is. Mm-hmm. She's learning about the was, and mm-hmm. then it became who she is to take her into the present. So And gives her a vision of who she'll be in the future, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, right? it does. That's what identity formation does. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of beautiful. It is beautiful. So what is the power of story? As we remember. Mm. Stories provide narratives for us to live into. Mm. So think about like, and I guess I've, I've probably seen this developed even more recently it, on social media. 
So Facebook didn't always have, what's it called? The story? Oh, yeah, the story. Or, yeah, the, they're kind of new. They're kind of new. And, and, and they're actually more popular part of those social media features mm-hmm. because we have to create a story to live in. Human beings need a story to live in. Our lives can become denarrated, which means we actually don't have any roots to understand and interpret our experiences and to make sense of and gain a vision of, mm-hmm. of how we should live and who we should be. Mm-hmm. So we get stuck with rather um, shallow narratives for our lives, specifically fame and wealth. Those are predominant for us today. Um, Yeah. Yeah, so when we think about story, because we've talked about that a little bit and remembering, you remember through stories. Let's talk a little bit more about how remembering then goes on to shape our future. Yeah. Or am I jumping tracks here? No, you're not. Okay. No, you have it. So if we think of ourselves within a narrative. So imagine like a, a really long or like a big mm-hmm. arc. Um, mm-hmm. And we might be sitting two thirds of the way through that arc. And so we remember looking behind us on the narrative of that story that gives us direction, that roots us in who we are um, in a Christian sense that helps us recognize the times in the past when God has been faithful, when I don't see God's faithfulness right here. Mm-hmm. But on that arc, there's a future direction. And I know something about where that story is supposed to go, which actually ignites my imagination to see beyond my present reality Mm -hmm. and the possibilities of what could be in the future Mm -hmm. because I have a story that I am woven into. Yeah, Hmm. yeah, Mm, that's good. I think about that. I need to work on the collective piece of my life because I'm very individual. Um, but I think about we just, all are. yeah, I think about just for me, it's really important to me. My journal is really important to me. And because I know in myself, I have a tendency to forget and then life can become dramatic and in quotes for people who are, right. <laughs> cannot see us like the most <laughs> terrible thing ever yeah. or you know like something happens and I'm like oh my gosh my husband and I had a fight so like we must not love each other anymore <laughs> so it's really important which I do not think is true so I'm giving like a really well, thanks for being honest yeah. we get it <laughs> yeah so it's really important to me to be able to look back and be like oh no just yesterday we had a really good conversation oh. and talk through something that was difficult for us and but we like talked through it and we're fine today we had a little bit of a ripple in our conversation but that is today that is not always you know and that's so your super, journal becomes a reference point it does to remember become, larger than just the moment it's yeah, a great example yeah and i totally need that yes. every single day of my life for different things Heidi, that's a really good illustration because it you're you're developing a practice to be more than your present moment. Mm. To understand you have a history, you have a future, yeah. that you're more than just what you feel in a present moment or experience in a present moment of time. Oh, yeah, because it can get yeah, not super dark. It can get a little dark sometimes yeah. when I'm just in yeah. the present and have the anxiousness and sometimes even the despair, yes. if I'm being really honest. Yes. And be like, yeah, like... See, there's the gift 
um, of what the church can embody. Yeah, yeah, that's totally true. So, but I want to hear more about the imagination that you talked about. Because when I think of imagination, I think of creativity and play and fun and something that we did when we were little, but then when we grew up, we had to stop doing it because it wasn't the mature thing to do. Wow, right? So you think of imagination as creativity, and maybe in some ways we think of it as fake or false. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When I talk about imagination, I'm talking about the ability to see what is possible amid reality. So it's that creative piece, but it doesn't come from nowhere. It comes from being part of a narrative. Um, So if you think of the prophets and their ability to imagine the ways in which God could act act and what God would do, those declarations are about imagination. In the face of the darkness and the despair and the hardness, you have a a vision of something outside of now. So imagination in some ways is faith. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And hope. And hope. And trust. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So knowing all of this and the value of memory and imagination, how does this then change the project of church? Ah, great question. It means that we're going to pay attention in addition to focusing on personal discipleship, that we're also going to pay attention to the formation of a community. Mm. To think of ourselves through the communal metaphors, that we're becoming a place that hosts the Spirit as the, as the temple of the Holy Spirit. That we're, it's not just a neat idea to describe the church as the body of Christ, but we're actually trying to figure out how to act like a body. Um, yeah. So that we're, we're really paying attention to who we're becoming as a people and yeah. not just individual persons as faithful followers of Christ. Yeah, so I'm a I want to do something kind of person. So how do we, and it can get me in trouble. It can be really good, but it can get me in trouble. I want to do rather than just sit and be sometimes. But how do we start mm-hmm. doing, mm-hmm. like how do we start developing those practices as a community mm-hmm. to do that? Mm-hmm. That's my next project that I'm working on. But let me give you let me give you an example. Okay. So in the second half of the book, I write about values that a community would hold if they um, understood this community formation. And one of those values is mutuality. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm thinking about the historic practice in the church on hospitality. Ooh yeah. And when we think about hospitality, we think about being host. Right, which is a very much part of the Christian tradition of what it means to um, be the host to the stranger and the foreigner among us. And all these practices, they, um, they need to be reinterpreted in our time. So when we think about mutuality as an aspect of community, mm-hmm. I think it also means that sometimes we need to learn to be guest. Ooh, yeah. And to know when to pivot. When are the times in our relationships where I, I am host and I have good host manners. Mm-hmm. And one of the times in my relationship when I need to be guest. Oh, yeah. With the right guest manners. And we have a good model, actually, in Jesus for what it means to be guest. And lots of models um, of, of when to pivot through, especially in the Luca narrative. 
So what's one thing you can do is to pay attention and recognize times if you want to if you want to be part of a community with people. When is it time maybe for me to be guest? Because Christians are used to being the host. Yes, I would much rather be the host right. than the guest. That's because being a guest means being vulnerable. Being un- yes, and being uncomfortable. uncomfortable. Yeah. So in order to actually know one another and to hear our different stories and experiences, in order for people to be heard, there's times where we need to be guest in their experience. That's mm. different than our own. Yeah. As uncomfortable as that yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned mutuality a minute ago. What is mutuality? Mm-hmm. I like to find mutuality as the giving and the receiving of faith, okay. that we aren't alone in um, our journey. There's that collective image again. But Heidi, when you talk about your faith and you declare your faith, I hear you, and it actually increases mine. Mm. And at times, maybe when my faith is weak, I need you to believe for me. For sure. So that's that. That's mutuality. It's understanding we both have agency and responsibility and care for one another in the community. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that you talk about in your book is um, we that we hear a lot of voices crying out that the church is not as vibrant, maybe even dying because we lack young people participating in the church. So what would you say to those voices in light of mutuality? Mm-hmm. Um, Christ Church is not going to die. In fact, I work with a generation um, of college students that are going to be beautiful leaders of a church that maybe we're not going to recognize exactly what it looks like. Um, So mutuality would play out by us stepping aside and sometimes those of us who are in charge as hosts in our churches Mm. to be guests to new ideas and new thinking and new ways in which we need to conceive of the gospel in our time and space. Do the pivot thing. It's time for some pivots. Yeah, it is. How can we, because we're talking about mutuality, so how can we do that um, with authenticness, Mm. empathy, collaboration? Um, What does this look like to practice that? Because um, I like your go- uh, guest host, almost said ghost. <laughs> I like your guest host <laughs> illustration. But like, what does that actually look like in real, like in a real life example? Mm-hmm. I was sitting with my daughter one evening and I was being lazy. I should have been getting up to fix dinner, but we were just hanging out by the fire. It was winter. So we were Lovely. cold. Yeah. We needed the warm. We live in New England, so we need a little bit of warmth. Um, and down my street went an ambulance. So it's a smaller neighborhood. So something was wrong, and we were curious about that. But then there was another, another siren, and another siren, and another siren. Something was really wrong. Mm-hmm. And what we learned is that someone in our neighborhood had taken their life. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't know them. Sure, we lived somewhat close to each other. I'd recognize them. Our kids rode the same bus together, but I couldn't tell you their names. Mm-hmm. And in me, I wanted to do something. You know, maybe mm-hmm. I could bring them a meal mm-hmm. or maybe invite them to our grief group at the church. But I have to recognize that both those acts were being host. Mm-hmm. A couple of days later, the announcement came in the newspaper, a public announcement um, of the memorial service and the visiting of friends. And I had to decide if I wanted to be the guest at a memorial service for people whose story was not my story, whose grief was not my grief, 
and whether mm-hmm. I would accept that invitation or not. How is it that we enter people's lives authentically, yeah. with empathy, in the space, the real space of how we live? Or am I just willing to be host, to bring them food? Not that anything's wrong with those things. Yeah. But there are a different type of way in, uh, ways in which we interact with one another. I'm struck by what you said, that you have to recognize that those actions are host actions. Because I never would have thought, like, They're just kind. Yeah, it's just kind. But I never would have thought about the position that that would put the host in and bringing the food, which is very kind, but it puts you in a position of power, too. You've got it. And that's those are vulnerable people right now, too. Mm -hmm. And not that it's bad. No, no. Not that it's bad, but it's a recognition that maybe you're the one that needs to be vulnerable with them and to sit in their grief and sorrow not just make it right. Mm-hmm. Because you can't fix those things. No, ma'am. No. Why is mutuality so important in youth ministry? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of our relationships are top-down relationships. Mm, as in the host guest that we were just yeah, talking about. Yeah, exactly. And now you can think of adults and children. Yeah. And who are children in the church? And is the only role that we have for them, um, is that top-down relationship? Or do we imagine that there are things that they bring authentically to our community? Another story. Gosh, I'm telling a lot of stories about my daughter (laughs) today. She's She's going to love that. My son's going to be jealous. How old is your daughter? Uh, She's 14. Okay. How how old is your son? 17. Okay. Okay. So maybe he's okay with it. He might be okay with it. it. When I was 17, I would want to be left out of those stories. Right. Fair (laughs) enough. Fair enough. So my my mom, when my daughter was seven, eight, somewhere in there, um, my mom got very sick. And my kids were pretty close to my mom. So she was going to have a surgery, and I told them that. And the qu- the first question was, is, is Mimi going to die? Mm-hmm. I quickly, without thinking, kind of stuck my hand out. I said, imagine that Mimi is sitting um, held in, in God's hand, that she's going to be safe. Well, my mom did die, mm-hmm. um, and it was really tragic for us. The circumstances were really um, very difficult, and it literally turned my world upside down. Mm-hmm. And during those days, my daughter, and that were the darkest for me, my daughter would come up to me without any words and just put her hand out, reminding me, right, of what I had said. God is in the palm of her hand. This is my daughter that I still need to teach the Lord's Prayer, right? I still, you know, I still have so much to teach her. And she ministered to me in ways that are beyond any type of teaching, Mutuality is about the giving and the receiving of faith. And do we reduce children and young people just to, the, to us one, one way relationship where our job is to pass faith mm-hmm. onto them? Yeah. Or is there actually something reciprocal about that? Yeah. Yeah. I love that example because we usually do think of the older teaching the younger, which is so important. It is important. But, but does it cloud? and not put them in a position also of being responsible to be part of the faith community. Yeah. 
and to be involved. Because mm-hmm. I remember just a couple of weeks ago, my pastor's wife was talking about her son wanted to be involved in church. And I don't know exactly how old he is, eight, somewhere mm-hmm. between eight and 11. I'm not good at judging ages. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, so now he's a greeter. And I'm like, love it. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Ways for him to, to participate in what we're already doing in church. Yeah. And then what would happen if we wanted to do more than just participate? What if we wanted to contribute and change the greeter system? How would we re- how would we <laughs> respond to that? Right. right. So there's levels of which we bring and we welcome and we make space for other people. Yeah. And both are important. The participate and the contribute. Both are important mm-hmm. for young people in the church. Absolutely. So I really love the picture of the younger helping the older and the older helping the younger because there have been some older people in my life who have been so absolutely transformative to me. But I also really like the idea of like people younger. Like that we need all parts of the community and all parts of the church to help us. Yeah. Kenda Creasy Dean writes a book um, about young people in which she articulates what their great, what the greatest gift is that they bring to the church. And she describes it as their passion. Yeah. So what is it the church needs right now? Passion. Yeah. And what is the unique gift that young people bring? Passion. Passion. Yeah, it goes back to what I said at the beginning, like, why do we keep showing up for church? Yeah. Right. And maybe there's a passion that you need to unleash. Yeah. That allows you to actually not just receive something from the church, but to actually help the church carry out its mission. A lot of time with young people, we think about ministry to them, rather than the ways in which all people of our church are helping to carry out the mission of that local church. Mm. That's what it means to be the people of God. Yeah, that's beautiful. Mm. That's beautiful. Thanks. So last question that we always ask everybody who comes on the podcast, because the podcast is called Thrive with Asbury Seminary, what is one practice that can be spiritual or really anything that is helping you thrive in your life right now? Okay, can I tell two? Yeah, please. The first is the discovery of London fogs. Oh. My students recently introduced me to them. Mm, yum. So that's one. <laughs> Just enjoying, even at home, making my own London fog is helping me to thrive. So that's my silly one. My second, which is more honest, is learning to listen to people from different ethnic backgrounds, Mm. to be able to learn, to have the privilege to sit as guests in their stories and be able to have um, their experience in the world become of which one of which I am aware of, have empathy for, um, and really open up my eyes to not only a bigger world, but the type of healing, Mm -hmm. specifically racial healing Mm -hmm. that we need, um, in the church first, even mm-hmm. before in our country. For sure. And I think being guest, not that I'm yeah. an expert on this, but being guest in that situation is super important because I think a lot of times we expect others to conform to our ways. And if we're willing to listen and learn, that's, that's, that's exactly a beautiful right. thing. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Ketchum. I really enjoyed our conversation today. You've been a wonderful host. Oh, well, thank you. You've been a great guest. I appreciate it. There it is. 
Hey, y'all. Thank you so much for joining me for today's conversation with Dr. Ketchum. What a gift that her work is giving to the world. I really enjoyed learning more about embodied memory and thinking about the ways that we are part of a larger narrative and part of a collective community. What a beautiful picture that was and what beautiful practices there are that is a part of that. So if you haven't already done so, make sure you pick up a copy of her book, Reciprocal Church, Becoming a Community Where Faith Flourishes Beyond Beyond High School. It's available on Amazon or wherever books are sold. So if you want to learn more, make sure you grab a copy of that. So as always, you can follow us in all the places on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at, at Asbury Seminary. Until next time, have a great day, y'all, and go do something that helps you thrive.